You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for your Seattle Seahawks, joined by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hello. How's it going? It's going well because we finally got another football game to talk about coming off the Seahawks bye as we get you ready for their game against the Atlanta Falcons. And let's start with the bye. Before we even break this down, and I know that this has been said, I think it's worth reiterating It came at just the right time for this team, as long as they can recreate all that chemistry and all that good stuff coming right out of the gates on Sunday. Yeah, usually you'd say week five is too early for a bye. You want that kind of middle of the late season bye to get rejuvenated for what you hope is a playoff run. But when your quarterback has a sprained knee and sprained ankle, when two of your top three receivers are a little nicked up, when you've got some guys banged up on defense, it's a really good time to get healthy. Now, of course, the downside of that is there's inevitably going to be some injuries going forward and you won't have to buy them. But yeah, if they can pick up, especially on, I mean, I, I don't think anyone worries about this defense doing this thing, but the offense, it, you know, with what they've done in the passing game, especially the last couple of weeks, if they can build off of that, then this buy will be a great time. And the Seahawks are three and three under Pete Carroll coming off the buy, which looks a little different than their record going into the buy. I don't know that that has anything to do with the way that Pete has handled that. I think it's just kind of the fluky way yeah, the records go. I mean, it's just go. who they've played and how you know how they've been playing at that particular time. I don't I don't read a lot into off the buy record. I mean, if it if a team over a ten year span under one coach is two and eight or something, then yeah, okay, you worry about it. But three and three, it is what it is. And I especially don't worry about this team coming off the buy when they know that they are playing at home this week there's a chance for some pretty nasty weather on Sunday which I think does play into the Seahawks favor and there are so many intriguing storylines with the Atlanta Falcons coming to town and before we even get into the matchup with the players on the field Dan Quinn is the head coach it wasn't that long ago that he was here coaching the defense no and he's actually had two stints here he's a D-line coach went down to Florida to be a coordinator and now he came and then he came back as a coordinator for two seasons uh, two Super Bowl seasons for this team, two of the best defenses this franchise has ever had, and uh, deservedly got a head coaching chance. And, uh, yeah, I mean, th- he was a very popular guy in that locker room amongst those defensive players. So they're all pretty excited for him and also for a chance to reconnect. You mentioned those Super Bowl years, and the defense was so good during those years. Can you point to one thing that really has Dan Quinn's just – fingerprint on it or is it just the way he brought them together yeah I think it was you know he, he's not that he's not a good X's and those guys but I think it was the way he kind of got the guys to rally around each other and around the team and it, Cam Chancellor was saying it earlier he just kind of let guys he, he was it's a very Pete Carroll thing too to kind of let guys do what they do best and, and really kind of thrive on their strengths and he was really good at bringing that out I guess and I thought that was an interesting comment from Cam because you do hear that from the top with Pete Carroll but to hear it again in, in different meeting rooms where it, it doesn't sound like it was just Pete making those decisions that Dan Quinn had the ability to move guys around and really kind of shift responsibilities if need be just to make sure that those skills were being utilized. Yeah. So that was an interesting one. And when you ask the coaching staff here about what they have seen from the Falcons on film, 
their interesting their answer has been just as interesting saying it is a very Dan Quinn team. He yeah. is very solid in who he is. He's very solid in his effort and his consistency. And that's showing up in different ways with the Falcons, not just on their defense, but across the board. Yeah, it, I, I have noticed both players and coaches, when they describe the way this team plays in different phases of the game, it, it does sound very familiar. I mean, I hear people talk about effort and finishing and enthusiasm. It's just, it, it makes sense. You know, Dan Quinn spent a lot of time here and learned from Pete Carroll, and there are – um, a lot of what they do schematically is similar on defense. It's not exactly the same. It's obviously different personnel, but uh, offensively they're quite a bit different, obviously. But uh, special teams is another team like the Seahawks that takes their special teams very seriously, plays well there. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a really fun one to see. Yeah, and special teams talking about taking it seriously. I wrote a note down earlier today about how many yards they have limited. Uh, yeah, thirty three total yards on punt returns allowed by the Falcons. That is uh, the second lowest in the NFL. So that certainly is an indication of how they value special teams. Here's something that Dan did differently than Pete Carroll, because in all the years that you and I have worked here under Pete, Pete has never treated any week different from the other. What do you make of Dan Quinn's decision to stay on the West Coast? They have been practicing here. They've been practicing over at UW. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to do with his team. Yeah, and, you know, I think a lot of that might be more of a – and Dan Quinn touched on this talking on his conference call at the Seattle Media, that kind of the team bonding element of it because, I mean, it, it takes away a little bit of flight time, but it's not like they were going from all the way on the East Coast all the way to the West Coast and back. I mean, it was – Atlanta to Denver is a two-hour two and 45-minute flight. So if they had gone back and forth and then come out here, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But I think it was just sort of – with they have a few West Coast trips this year, and it was a good excuse to – limit the travel a little bit, but then, you know, get that a whole week together, do kind of the bonding. And, um, you know, you're right. We've never seen Pete Carroll do that. Maybe, you know, this is a very veteran team now. Maybe it would have been something Carroll considered more when they were younger. And maybe that's where Quinn sees it his second year. Um, still kind of trying to make it his team to a degree. So maybe they just think it's a good way to get that team a little closer. And you mentioned um, kind of the veterans on the team, it is shocking to me when you go back and you see how long Cam Chancellor Seventh and year. Earl Thomas yeah. and Richard Trump and those guys have been here. And it's led to some interesting conversations this week about the amount of communication that they have, how a lot of it's nonverbal, and how they have seen so much of what the league throws at them. There's very little that you can do that they haven't already seen before, which is a good thing because K.J. Wright says this is the best offense they're facing in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's – it's funny the thing, as you said, sixth, seventh year for a lot of these guys, fifth year for guys like Bobby Wagner, and it, it's showing up in – Pete Carroll talked about the consistency they've played with, and a lot of that is that experience. When you have this nucleus that's been together so long, that the communication's better, the trust in knowing, you know, if I do this, this guy's going to be here, he's going to do this, and just that understanding really helps them play at a higher level, and these are the weeks it's really going to pay off for them, they hope is that they know, you know, and, and as K.J. Wright said, teams throw wrinkles at them. You know, they, they study a team on film all week, and then they see something that that team never did before. And it's, I think, to a degree, that's kind of a sign of respect to the CX defense, that teams feel the need to do that. But when you get that, the key is to adjust to it. And that's a lot easier to do when you've all been playing together for five, six, seven years. And when KJ made that comment, I went back and I looked at the opponent game-by-game stats in the stat pack that we get every week. The Seahawks' defense have not allowed a third-quarter score this year, which shows that – 
you know, the adjustment that gets made. Now they've allowed a couple of fourth quarter scores, which the Seahawks are still upset about the ones they gave up to the Niners. But the fact that they make the adjustment and it's going to take a little bit for the opponent then to figure out how to counter that. So I think that that uh, was was just an, was nice evidence of what KJ was saying. Here's the other thing that Tony McDaniel was telling me in the locker room when they watched Atlanta against Denver. And you take a look at Denver's defense. and He said Denver doesn't have a bad defense, but what he noticed is that they were not gap discipline and that there were some breakdowns there. And part of that, it's not just being disciplined on every play. It is trusting the person next to you, which the Seahawks have in spades, given all of this experience and all this time together. Um, We'll talk about the secondary in a second, but if you had to pick the two biggest matchups that the defense is going to have to shut down this week, what would it be? Well, I mean, it, you, you mentioned the secondary, and the obvious one's going to be in the passing game, Julio Jones, if Richard Sherman's on. But to me, maybe a, a more, a little more under the radar, not that they're unknown players, but it's not as big a headline as the two running backs, Tevin Coleman and, and Devonta Freeman. And especially, they've run the ball really well. But what they can do in the passing game, I mean, Freeman had 132 receiving yards last yeah. week. On that, As a running back. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, you know, screens dumping off in the backfield. He's splitting out as a receiver. They get those matchups of him on a linebacker. And, again, we were talking to KJ, right? Is he know a lot of teams will do that. You'll motion the receiver out and put him all the way wide. And it's more just to see how the defense reacts. Right. It, it shows you whether they're playing right. zone or they're man. They're spying it, on yeah. something it, for the it, defense. It gives something away, but you don't usually actually throw to that guy. Coleman was running routes like a receiver, making catches and you know contested catches, big plays down the field. And when you can do that, that puts a huge strain on a defense. So to me, if you can not completely shut those guys down, but slow those two down, don't let them get the run game going, and don't let them make those big plays in the passing game, then your secondary can kind of do its thing. Or make those plays that can turn into big plays, right? If the linebackers don't get up there and shut down the seven, eight-yard yeah. passes, they could easily go for 20 yeah. based on the way the and secondary is going to be playing. Coleman, Coleman had a very good game, but part of those big plays weren't, you know, he wasn't catching the ball. One of them was a long throw down field, but he wasn't always catching the ball 40 yards down the field. It was He was making that one guy miss, and the safety either missed a tackle or didn't have the right angle. And, and that's where we talk about the value of Earl Thomas. He can Earl Thomas is often the difference between a 10-, 15-yard play and a 40-yard play. Yeah, and the Falcons have completed 26 passes of 20 or more yards. That leads the league, and they have 14 touchdown drives of 60 or more yards on the season. And so certainly the big play capability is there. Enter the matchup with Richard Sherman and Julio Jones. We, we put a little asterisk by that because no one's going to confirm that Richard Sherman will cover Julio Jones. But we can all talk about it like it'll happen because there's a very real chance it will. Going back to last year, we've seen that a lot more with this defense, whether it was Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, Des Bryant. It's something the Seahawks have felt more comfortable doing. We saw it last, or two weeks ago against Brandon Marshall. Um, and it's it's really fun. I mean, the Marshall one, was sometimes when they do that, it just sort of takes a guy out of the game. Uh, when, when the Seahawks did that against Torrey Smith and the 49ers, they just kind of didn't throw to him. So it's like, well, you did your job. You took him out of the game, but it's not necessarily that fun for the fans. But when it's like last week against Brandon Marshall, and like what I would assume the Falcons will, will test him some, it's really fun to just watch two of the very best in the game go at it like that. And he doesn't get tested that much, but when he did, when Sherm got tested against the Jets, he recorded his first multi-interception game since 2014. And his comments this week about cornerbacks needing to be, well, 
he didn't really say better athletes, but he said it's harder to play cornerback than it is wide receiver. What did you make of that whole storyline and how he broke down those two positions? Because he's played both. Yeah, and as I say, he's more qualified than most to have that conversation because he played you know big time college football as a receiver and a corner. And it's interesting. It's it's so obvious, but you don't necessarily think about it. What he mentions, they're on the field every play. Those receivers rotate, and you think about it. As he said, if you know, let's say he's on Julio Jones, and Julio Jones runs a 60-yard go route, whether they throw it or not, Richard Sherman runs those 60 yards full sprint. Julio Jones might go sit down for a play. Richard Sherman's not. He's got to go run with that next guy. And, I mean, the same thing on the other side of the field for Deshaun Shedd and those safeties. So it's uh, it does take – it's not just the physical part of it, which is taxing of itself, but the – the mental, you got to be in it every play. You can't just be like, oh, they're not going to throw to this guy. I'm going to kind of go half speed because the second you do that, they're going to throw it and you're going to look really stupid. Yeah, and it's not just Sherm who needs to be on his toes. It's the other side, right? Because yeah. if he's going to follow and, and and try to to shadow and take Julio yeah, out of the game. you've got to have guys that can do it. you got to have the guys on the other yeah. side. And that's where I think both Deshaun Shedd and Jeremy Lane, their versatility is a big deal because – if, if Deshaun Shedd was only comfortable playing one side and he had been a right cornerback his whole life, you might be a little worried about messing him up, even if you think Sherman can handle it. But he's played safety. He's played in the slot. He's played both corner positions. Jeremy Lane, same thing. So if, if Julio's in the slot and you want Sherman in there, then Jeremy Lane has to go play left corner. He can do that because he's done it. Let's take a look at the other part of this game and this matchup. And this is the Seahawks offense against the Atlanta defense. And, um, you know, last week – Atlanta's pass rush stood out six sacks against Paxton Lynch for the Broncos. And I think there's probably a few different reasons for that, right? How does that Dan Quinn-style defense match up against what we're seeing from the Seahawks offense? Well, starting with that pass rush, I think that it'll be another good test for an offensive line that is, you know, they haven't been perfect, but they're they're way ahead of where they were last year, and particularly in pass protection. Um, I, their sack numbers are half of what they were through four games last year. So that'll be a good test. Uh, you know, because it's a Dan Quinn defense, we know they're going to be sound. They're going to be disciplined. They've got some similar pieces, not the same guys, but, um, you know, Neil at safety kind of looks like a cam chance or big physical in the box guy. They've got a great cornerback in Desmond Trufant. So it's it's going to be a really good test for this offense. I, I, a lot of times when we get these really obvious number one offense, number one defense matchups, sometimes it's the other side that determines it. Like let's say it's kind of a wash between Atlanta's offense and Seattle's defense. Well, then if, if Seattle's offense can – can have a big game and get the better of that defense, that could be where the game's decided. Well, and, you know, you mentioned those two guys, Trufant and um, Neil. Cam Chancellor's helped Neil. Richard Sherman has helped Trufant. Yes. they've Yeah, they've kind of they, – and that's where these kind of – they become veterans. They like doing that, taking guys under their wing. And Cam Chancellor talked about that. There's been a few guys that have come in the league in recent years where he, he either hears something or sees something that kind of reminds him of himself and says, hey, I'm going to – just text that guy out. That'd be pretty fun if you're a, uh, an NFL rookie, not even rookie yet. You're preparing for your first season. And you just get a text from an all-pro saying, hey, let's go work out. Yeah. Be yeah. Fun. I would think it was a joke at first. Yeah. I think somebody it, it, would have to yeah. really do a good job of convincing yeah, me it's who it was. This is one of his buddies messing with him. But let's just do a couple of more minutes on the Seahawks offense. And you talked about Russell Wilson and how the bye helped him. How much would getting a little bit of that mobility back help for him and for Tyler Lockett? Because we have seen these pieces individually of the Seahawks offense going, but to have potentially all of them available on Sunday, what level does that take them to? 
I mean, it would it would be a big help for sure. I mean, Tyler Lockett barely played on offense last game and was limited the week before as well. So if you get him full speed, I mean, the the threat he I mean, we saw it against the Rams when he's stretching the field like that. It's it's a big weapon, not only the plays he makes, but just the way he affects coverage. Uh, Russell Wilson being mobile. I mean, he he's shown he can stand in there and throw it. He did that against the Jets without running around. But I think where the mobility is really going to help is get getting the run game going, not just because he might run for, you know, get those occasional five, 10 yard runs, but just the threat of it. I mean, it, it changes the way teams defend the run as a whole. If they know that he's a credible threat to get out and run the ball and it's, you know, he's, he's averaging barely not even two yards a carry right now. And that's not who Russell Wilson is when he's right. Right. And um, we touched on this a little bit earlier for those listening outside the Pacific Northwest. Seattle is under a weather advisory for the most, for most of the weekend. Wind gusts, they say could reach up to 60, 70 miles an hour. Now we think that that's going to be toned down by the time we get to Sunday I know they're not going to change their game plan based on the weather, but having everything at your disposal, doesn't exactly. that? Exactly. It helps. It, it helps. Yeah, I mean, you want to have options. And that's where, you know, this goes back to the conversation everyone has so often about balance and the running game. And, and that's another example when Pete Carroll says he wants to be balanced. It's not about running the ball 30 times and throwing it 30 times every single game. It's being able to do what the game calls for, whether that's, the way the opponent defends you or the elements. If I mean, if it's so – rain won't really stop them from throwing the ball. But if it's so windy that – I mean, we saw that New Orleans playoff game, it was so obvious which way a team was going yes. on the field based on the way. I mean, going one way, teams could throw the ball. The other way – I mean, I remember Drew Brees trying, trying to throw the ball into that wind, and it just wouldn't go. And yeah. if you can get – if you can run the ball when you need to effectively, that's a huge deal in this weather. Yeah, and I was talking to Paul Richardson today, and he said you cannot try to adjust your game for the wind because you don't know what's going to happen. And what yeah. happens if the wind stops blowing on the play? What happens if I go short and the and the ball gets carried this way? You have to be smart, but the receivers are not going to adjust their game. So, yes, you're probably going to see a lot of running one direction, a lot of throwing the other direction if, in fact, weather becomes an issue. Here's my last big question. Because here's what the critics of this team will say on both sides of the ball. doesn't matter how effective they are being. Seahawks haven't played a team that is at the top of the standings in offense or defense right now. Yeah, and I think that's – it's a fair point. I mean, we have not seen an offense like Atlanta's. I, I, no matter what the stats say, I, I'm going to say that the offense has been tested by some really good defenses, especially with the defensive lines. Like maybe – Maybe the Jets aren't a great defense front to back the way they're playing right now. The statistics might not show that. But when you've got to block those guys, it, it it's a real test. But, yeah, offensively or defensively, the Seahawks have not seen a team like this. And not that that diminishes what they've done so far, but it is going to be interesting to see just how they hold up to a team that can throw the ball like this and can run. I mean, it's especially the balance. It, that kind of gets overlooked with the numbers that Julio Jones and Matt Ryan have put up is how good this team runs the ball as well. I would think um, it, you could point to those numbers and say, look, it would have been easy to overlook some of those opponents or to take your foot off the gas. And as we mentioned, Seahawks are still upset about that fourth quarter yeah. against the Niners. Yeah, I, I think two, that that was yeah, still a little bit too fresh for them. Um, they've seen different elements of those games not by the same offense in the same game. I think they're probably prepared to go out there and uh, show folks how rested they are, how much yeah. they missed a week on the field. And the thing about it, depending on who you talk to, a lot of these guys, it's it's sort of the Pete Carroll mentality of treat every game the same. They're not going to tell you 
they're looking forward to the number one offense and proving themselves. But I, I do, if you look at their history when they do play these games, they tend to rise to the occasion and, and play really well against these upper-level offenses. It will certainly be a fun matchup. We hope that you are going to tune in on Sunday to the Seahawks Radio Network to catch Steve Rabel, Warren Moon, and myself on the call. And, of course, John Boyle will have all of your coverage leading up to game day and beyond on Seahawks.com. That is this week's edition of Seahawks Insiders. We will see you next week.